0: And our speaker today is Pastor Brent Miller. He's the pastor of College Drive Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. Now, Brent, even though he lives in Alberta, he's no stranger to British Columbia. He and his wife, Lana, are here as well. Um, Brent was born in Victoria. He has pastored in Abbotsford and Fort St. John. And even though he's been in Alberta for the past seven years, he continues to cheer for the Vancouver Canucks. So this alone should teach us that he is a man of great perseverance and faith. So those are two excellent qualities to have in a pastor. He's a graduate of Prairie Bible College and Trinity Western Seminary. Brent has served in pastoral ministry for over 25 years. And over the past couple of years, he has developed a friendship with our lead pastor, Brad Sumner, who is not with us today. He is in Florida on holidays Um, And that friendship has also been extended to Martin Lanthier of St. Rose Church in Laval, who was visiting us just earlier in June. Brent and his wife, Lana, have four children, and they've graciously decided to visit us this morning while they vacation in Pastor Brad and Meg's home. So I don't know what sort of house inspection happens after that, but uh, I hope that's fun for you vacationing in their home. So thanks for ministering to us today, Brent. Come on up, and we look forward to hearing what God will teach us through your message today.
1: Thanks, Keith. Yeah, we're. uh, Is this on? Finding some really uh, interesting things at Pastor Brad's house, so we'll have an open house later this this evening. Uh, It's a real privilege to be with you. Um, We do uh, enjoy coming back uh, to the coast and getting rehydrated, and uh, it's. um, a familiar place, Victoria, as mentioned, is where we, where I grew up, and uh, then we started our ministry uh, out in Ucluet. Uh Maybe some of you have been there. It only rains there uh, twice a week, once for three days and once for four. And Now we live in southern Alberta. Imagine that. Uh, I'm really excited about our partnership uh, with uh, Jericho Ridge, uh, College Drive Community Church in, in uh, Lethbridge, and also... St. Rose, we always call it St. Rose Church because we can't pronounce it correctly, but it's L'Eglise Evangelique de St. Rose, right? And um, what's exciting about that is just to to say, rather than, well, we happen to be part of the same denominational family, uh, rather uh, between uh, Pastor Brad and myself and Pastor Martin, we find that, you know, connecting on Skype and, and just sharing concerns and encouraging one another, and then when there's a conference, we get together, we try to uh, encourage one another. In fact, uh, uh, one time, uh, I believe your congregation helped um, uh, Pastor Martin, because they have a very small kind of challenging ministry, and, and uh, you helped him travel, and our church helped him uh, be accommodated at a conference, and so it's putting partnership uh, into um, more of a relationship uh, rather than a, uh, you know, it's on paper and it's organizational. Uh, so it's a privilege to to be here and to connect with you and, um, and to find out what's actually going on in Brad's life, you know, snooping through his house, so that's, that's really cool. Your summer series uh, is titled uh, Games and Thrones, and uh, I'd like to uh, share with you a little bit uh, from First Samuel chapter 16. You know, there's nothing good about a leader going bad, right? You know, when, a, when we get a new leader and we affirm a new leader It's like a coronation there's a celebration and we're excited right but before we people from bc start pointing the finger too much out east uh, there have been a few leaders out our way that have gone bad right Um, there have been a few frustrating seasons and uh, the failure of a leader is a humiliation Um, But just think about how it leaves people devastated, demoralized, discouraged, uh, bitter, um, and uh, sometimes a very nasty, angry response. Well, today we're going to explore the anointing of David. And what's uh, unique about this story is you really can't appreciate what God was doing in calling out David for his unique ministry unless we understand it against the backdrop of the failure of Saul. and. Um I, I, I thought as we approach this, it might be good to have a little bit of an understanding of this topic of anointing. And I think we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I just want to do it ever so briefly, just to say uh, two things. First of all, in the Old Testament, who or what, what offices uh, required uh, some anointing? Well, first of all, there was the prophet or the priest or the king. This was a, uh, a, the kind of unique calling, unique role that God had for servants in the Old Testament context. And um, those required the special anointing by God. What did that involve? That's the who, what did it involve? As I read and, I, and, and, and uh, explored this a little more deeply this last week, uh, three senses came to mind. First is this idea of commission, and then this idea of selection and then impartation. They were being given a very unique mandate, a very unique task to do. And so that's the commission. And then there was some kind of special selection. God was, and, and sometimes in very dramatic ways, was uh, choosing and selecting that individual out of uh, his people to serve in this special role. And then somehow, and this is probably the one I understand the least, there's some kind of impartation. The Holy Spirit, in some form, coming upon this person, God, imparting to them an equipping, a unique equipping for that uh, role. And so if you just think, uh, I know that's ever so brief, but prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament were anointed, and it had the sense of uh, a commission selection and and impartation. And so, as I mentioned, David's anointing is set against the backdrop of Saul's rejection by God. 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 23 reveals uh, Saul's failure. If we took the time to go through that story, we would have, I don't think, any trouble in just reading through the story and seeing that the key word was disobedience to, to, the, to uh, see how Saul had been commanded very clearly by God, and yet he disobeyed. Now, with that in mind, I thought this was an interesting comment that a very noted Old Testament scholar, F.F. F. Bruce, made. He said, the tragedy of Saul was that he was a sincerely religious man. And I don't know if this picture gives you that, but, you know, the stroking of the chin hair really is quite a religious pose, isn't it? And he does strike us, certainly, in the beginning of his calling by God, selection, impartation, his incredible commission to be the inaugural ruler of Israel. And and he he's does, I, I, I had to agree in some sense with uh, Mr. Bruce. Uh, yeah, he does come across as a very passionate religious man wanting to, you know, accomplish God's purpose for uh, his people. And yet what we'll discover, and, and again, this is about David's selection, I realize, but what we'll discover is the backdrop to David's selection is the fact that Saul disobeyed God. In all of that religious passion and fervor, he disobeyed God. And you'd think, wait a second, he was religious, right? So that means he was, you know, um, obeying God. How can you say he was religious and he was disobeying God? Well, that's something I want you to keep in mind as we go uh, through the story of David's selection, and then we'll pick it up again at the end and see uh, maybe in a little more precise detail uh, how it is very, very possible to be very religious and extremely uh, disobedient, So as we turn to uh, 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to have, um, uh, we're going to look through the passage in four little sections, and so we're going to have that scripture on the screen for you. But here's what God said, essentially, in this passage. When David came into view, where Samuel could see him, God said, this is the one, right? And I know that some who are younger and are, you know, scanning, we have a son who's 20, uh, he's scanning, and he's listening. He's listening, right, for God to say, this is the one. And his sister is very frustrated because she decided that maybe this is the one, and he's not so sure that she's the one, right? But that's a little different than what God was up to here. This is God saying, I've rejected Saul. He's disobeyed me. He's fallen out of favor. He's, he's um, taken himself out of that special anointing that I placed on his life. And now I'm saying, this is the one. So let's have a look at that. And um, I want to try and involve the kids a little bit. In a few moments, I'm going to need eight children to come forward. Not at this moment, but in a few moments. But you know, it's always intriguing, right? What's in the bag, right? And when my wife comes home from the store, what's in the bag? I never want to see the receipt, but... uh, (laughs) It seems to me like if you take 1 Samuel 16, at least these first dozen or so verses, it really breaks down quite in an interesting way um, from different perspectives. And so we've got, I brought some different uh, uh, lenses here. Why don't don't we start with these, these are fun. These were my uh, glasses in uh, grade nine. And uh, I kept them and uh, when I went to the optometrist about a year ago, he said the words I never wanted to hear. Can I see those? And it's like, he held them like they were an antique, which unfortunately they are. And, um, and they're really, just so you understand, if you're not that old, these glasses in the 80s were very big because you needed big glasses to see the big hair on the ladies, right? <laughs> and so, what's the first perspective that we have from this story? And the first perspective is, is Samuel's. Uh, I've mentioned Saul. Uh, David, of course, is part of this story, but Samuel is key. Samuel is God's emissary. Samuel is God's agent. Samuel is the, the spokesperson through whom God was making this declaration, I've rejected Saul, and, and I'm choosing David. So let's pick it up, for Samuel chapter 16, and verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And I should mention, that was the symbolic uh, demonstration of God's anointing, was the uh, anointing with oil, the smearing or rubbing of oil on the candidate there. And, And be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said... Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And we'll just read that far. What is Samuel's perspective here. Well, we know he's mourning, he's grieving, just backing up into the previous chapter. It says in, in the last verse, until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. Samuel had understood that, that God's plan was going to be uh, carried out through um, uh, uh, Saul. And he was, uh, he was discouraged. He, he, was, he was demoralized. And we see that uh, the, the phrase is used here that he was mourning as if he would mourn and grieve for someone who had died. And uh, so clearly he had understood God's calling. But, um, but now God was making a shift. And I think this was going to elicit from Samuel as he allowed God to work in him both courage and flexibility. And I'd have to say for myself, courage and flexibility in short supply often in my life. But this is what God was calling Samuel to. I want to tell you a story about a young couple from our congregation. When we think about, you know, thinking and investing and understanding what God's plan and purpose is for our life, and then finding this is not turning out the way we had uh, understood it. Let's go to the next slide. This is a young couple. You might know of this couple. I think there's a uh, Jericho Ridge connection, but this is Gary and Eva Cool, and their little uh, awesome cool little daughter, uh, Elena, and I was just Skyping with them. They are missionaries in Bolivia, been there 10 months. It's been a difficult and challenging time for them. The story, just very quickly, is that they were preparing. Uh, well, I, actually, I remember the first Sunday. I remember the first Sunday they came into our church, and I shook their hand, and I learned that they were dating, and, and then uh, we had the joy of... Um, being involved in their in their wedding, and then we saw them have a child, and and uh, and then I can remember the banquet where my wife and I spoke to them afterwards, and uh, I forget what the banquet was, but it was really exciting to just hear them say in very very simple terms, we we kind of think God is calling us into ministry, we think God is asking us to do something like that, and so they had a, a journey of of uh, exploring that and a, a bit of schooling, and then they landed down in Texas for. Language study. Um, they were going to be there for the school year and then can carry on to Bolivia. And uh, uh, Gary, uh, just very near the end of their second semester, uh, had a seizure and it was discovered he had a, a brain tumor. Uh, back to Canada. What is going on here, God? You know, you got to appreciate uh, Gary's a guy who loves the outdoors. Unfortunately, he's, you know, from Saskatchewan. He's a writer's fan. But he, you know, I, I just remember hearing him very much um, when he said, you know, I, 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 sold my, I sold my rifles, right? Sold my rifles and gave up hunt you know. And, and even as I chatted with him the other night on Skype, he said, you know, I feel like i have given up everything for God, right? To serve him. And um, just to kind of wrap the story, uh, Gary got through... Um, surgery, m- removal of the tumor, and subsequent treatment. And um, their medical team felt that he was well enough, and in fact, it would be helpful for him to focus on um, ministry in Bolivia. So that's where they've gone. But you know what? That's not the end of the story. They're on a journey just like you're on a journey, just like I'm on a journey of continuing every day to understand what it is like when God calls us to be courageous and flexible because I guess it's just as simple as this. God says, I'm going to call the shots. And I don't know about you, but I don't like God calling the shots in my life. I really like it when I call the shots and then God comes along and cooperates with what I've decided is the best for my life right? And Samuel was being invited to a whole new reality. Samuel, are you prepared? Are you prepared to stand before the nation and say, God has rejected Saul? So significant was Saul's disobedience and so passionate is God's purpose uh, now through being rerouted through David. That's a courageous. A call. That's a flexible call. I wonder if we're ready for that. Well, the second perspective is uh, Jesse's perspective. Now, I think I need, um, I'll get these out. You know, I, I think Jesse had a different way of looking. You know, he had a different lens. He, he was looking through um, uh, 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 certainly a, a dad's lens as uh, this story unfolds. Let's read it, and then let, let, let's think a little bit about what Uh, Jesse's perspective was about God's choosing of David. Picking it up at verse five. Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I've I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before uh, the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the thing, things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it's, it's at this point, while we're right in this text, this is where I need some help from kids. So I need actually eight kids up here as fast as you can without causing any injury." As fast as you can, because we need to help these adults think about these sons. Okay. Well, that's fine. I can I can just select some volunteers from the adults. Okay. Could we have eight kids up here? Is that possible? You know, Pastor Brad said, "Oh yeah, they'll rush right up there and yeah." Okay. No kids. Okay. (laughs) It's it's kids. Okay. We Keith. Thanks, Keith. Okay. Okay, eight people. When you put that on. Okay. Thank you.
0: There we go.
1: Now I hope we got enough. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Okay, and just line up there. So you can imagine um just just as you're uh you know have your eyes on these uh wonderful people up here um just think about what Jesse might have been thinking try to think like a dad right I um I didn't want to tell you, but I guess it only f- only for the purpose of illustration, our son is on the Alberta soccer team, just for illustration's sake, and um, I'm pursuing my vicarious soccer career through him this week at UBC when we go to watch him, and it's really tiring because I have another vicarious career going on. Our older son is on the soccer team at Uvel, so it's really tiring for me. Um, but think about, try to think like a dad. And Jesse's thinking about his, his sons, right? And listen to these names. Then Jesse called him Minadab and, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before, the, before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, this is a little pain painful, right? Is this all you got, right? Is this all you got? So think of it. Eliab. Can, Eliab, can you step forward? Pretty good looking, but I don't know, yeah. little grain on the top, I'm not so sure, right? Um, Abinadab, how about Abinadab? Where are you? Okay, yeah, all right. Obviously into technology, but uh, no, not this one. Shimia. Shimia. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no. Um, <laughs> Nathaniel. Who's Nathaniel? Okay. Sorry, you don't get the job either. How about Rad Pretty rad. <laughs> A rad guy, Rad Eye, but no, I'm sorry. Ozum. Who's Ozum? Yeah, that's a cool name, but it's not gonna cut it. Sorry, and Elihu. Okay, and no, and and here's the thing. Um, Jesse was, uh, to some degree, a man of means. Later on, he sends a gift to the king. This, to me, is a sense of, you know, he's a wealthy man. He's got these sons. He's, he's got means, and he sends the gift. He knows the protocol, and I think he's thinking like society thinks, tall, strong, the oldest, not the youngest, all kinds of outward appearance. But God, and I'm personally thankful for this, looks at the heart, not the height, Right? He looks at the heart, and there was one left. Where's David? You can take two steps forward, David. There we go. I I should also mention David was a humble man. uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. You you. You can keep those souvenirs. I wanted to repatriate that paper back to BC anyways, so... But don't we think that way, right? Oh, that person's, you know, they've got something going for them. And we look at those outward, external things. And God is looking at the heart. And and, uh, Jesse had to learn what the Corinthians had to learn. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he had to challenge their thinking. You know, not many wise, not many noble. You know, God takes the weak things to confound the strong. And, and And it's so paradoxical, but it's so godlike, right, to take something that is of no apparently no value and to infuse his spirit and his purpose into that individual and for them to glorify him in powerful ways. What good is it? I'm just being honest, what good is it for a guy with a brain tumor to work at a children's home? He can only do part-time work? in Bolivia. What good is it? Well, that is God's responsibility, right? That is God's miraculous and mysterious and wonderful responsibility that God could take the weak things uh, and to, to uh, pour out his grace and strength through that. God's choice from Samuel's perspective, from Jesse's perspective, And now from God's perspective, I wish I had glasses that were really God-like, but I I just have this uh, pair here, and so I don't know if, because God is so cool, he's got such great glasses, but what are the lenses through which God views his selection of David? Let's read on. Verse 12. So uh, Jesse sent uh, and had David brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. And here it is. Here's God's declaration. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Why did... uh, God choose David and reject Saul. There's, I think, a very clear answer back in chapter uh, 13 of 1 Samuel. I'm just flipping back to 1 Samuel 13 and picking up at verse 13 and 14. God says, um, uh, uh, Samuel's words, and I, I believe this is God speaking through him to Saul. "'You have acted foolishly,' Samuel said to Saul. You have not kept the command of the Lord that your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after. Again, after. That's right. That's what we know about David, right? We know about his failures morally as a parent. We know about his excesses. We know about his, uh, like he was a musician. We know a lot about David. But one of the things that we often think about first is that he was described as a man with a heart after God. And God seek, seek, uh, sought him out because of that and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the command of the Lord. And so we see that God has rejected the disobedient and Uh, one who longed after God's heart, who sought after God. God wanted to work powerfully through David. That's, in in fact, what we find. We, We read in verse 13 that the Holy Spirit came upon David powerfully. I take it here, uh, and, 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 and every case in which we read about the Spirit of God coming upon people in the Old Testament is, is like a promise or certainly a, uh, a prediction of how the Holy Spirit's going to come and live within each of us who love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wonder if we look at the Old Testament sometimes or other scriptures in the New Testament perhaps, and we say, why did God choose that person? Why did God choose that person? And I just wonder if we ask that question sometimes. Why did God call out that individual? Maybe sometimes it's even a sense of jealousy. I I would really like to be in that role. I'd like to do that too. Why that person? And I wonder if just, um, just a thought, if we tend to filter God's work of choosing through our experience on the playground I don't know, what was your experience on the playground? Do you remember the fateful experience? Everyone line up and uh, choose two captains. I, f- I found early in life that if you could just be a captain, right? If you could be a captain, and that's why pastors are so neurotic, because they uh, were always the captains choosing other people, right? Here, you do this job, and you do that job, and you usher, and, right? But if you're on that line, and you're, oh, am I going to get picked, right? And we think about selection or choosing in the sense that some, at some point, someone's going to lose. Someone's going to lose out. And we've got to get rid of that kind of thinking. That's not what we read in Scripture. Most certainly, God chooses. But there's no losers when God is choosing. God is calling all. To himself. And God has a unique and special anointing, if you will, or calling upon everyone who follows him. And it's quite exciting when we get rid of our human thinking and we try to see God's choosing from his perspective. Well, there's one more perspective, and it comes beginning at verse 17, and it's David's. And so, well, that's all I got left. Sorry, we're on holidays, so slim pickings. So what what did it look like for David to look through his unique lenses? And sorry, I don't want to desecrate the piano here, but um, what what you know what was his perspective on God choosing him? Well, briefly, according to verse 18. Uh, let me read. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. 1 Samuel 16, and we're just carrying on now at verse 17. So Saul, uh, so, uh, sorry, I've, I've passed over a little bit of information that um, God in confirming David's calling by the spirit of God coming upon him was also seen in uh, comparison uh, to an evil spirit coming upon Saul. So we pick it up at verse 17. Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. Jesse understood, you know, what did society expect? David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. I think David's perspective at this time, I'm quite convinced that though the Lord was with him, that's very clearly stated, the Spirit of God coming upon him powerfully, I really don't think David fully understood all that he was being called to do at this time. And yet, I think he understood this, that when we are anointed, called, commissioned to serve God in a special way, it begins in a place of humble service. And David, every indication is here that he willingly came, served in this place, didn't say to his father, well, wait a second, I'm anointed. I'm going to be the king. And he appeared here to wait on god 's timing for the full you know, the full implications of his calling to to take root, and I wonder if we sometimes think about you know um, even in in serving in the in the church context, we have this in- advancement mentality of got to get higher got to get into a higher place of serving, or do we have just a humble and um, servant like attitude to um, Uh, start to work out what God is ultimately calling us to by just a place of humble service. Well, those are four different perspectives on this story. I thought it very interesting that we could see it both uh, from Saul and Jesse's perspective, um, from God's perspective, and then for David uh, as well. So just to wrap it up, how does this experience of anointing, this idea that God commissions us, And selects us and imparts to us his equipping. How does that uh, fit into our lives today? Well, I've got two phrases that I want to uh, just throw at you and just a couple of concluding thoughts. I think, and again, we're coming back to the contrast between Saul and David. When I look at Saul's experience, when I look at what he had been called to, it seems to me like what Saul was practicing was a spiritualized individualism. What do I mean by spiritualized individualism? He said, he said very clearly in 1 Samuel 15, I have obeyed God. He hadn't, but he said, I have. What would make him say that? This is where I do agree with Mr. Bruce. I think that Saul was very religious. He had learned to maybe offer a sacrifice or he had become pragmatic. Well, I know God wants me to do A, but I think if I do B or C, that might even be better. And he had individualized, he had made his anointing and his role, I think, one that revolved around his own desires his own selfish impulses, but he had put this you know, smear of spiritual activity over that s- sort of self-absorbed life. Sometimes when we think about anointing, I wonder if we get into that kind of attitude. God is, you might even think of an individual. They might be very, very prominent or they might just be an acquaintance with no prominence but the attitude can be there where they're saying, you know, God has called me to this, and, and there's a, a self-serving attitude, but there's a lot of religiosity that uh, overshadows that, and it, and it looks quite good from the outside. But God, of course, is looking at the heart. Are we practicing kind of a spiritualized individualism? yet the scripture that you see there, you can look later to the very beginning of Ephesians. Paul spends quite a bit of time talking about the implications of God calling and choosing you and calling and choosing me. And it's all that we would live a holy life to the praise of his glory. It cannot be about self in any way. I think David was starting to exhibit that already when he took his harp and he went and he sat and he played music for the king who was greatly troubled. Instead of the very negative uh, example of spiritualized individualism, I think what God is calling us to is transformed community. And for that, I just want to turn to the last scripture I'll read here is in First Peter chapter 5. Or pardon me, chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And I'm just going to read... Verse 9 and 10, just let these words soak into your spirit and think, is that how I see myself? Is that that how we as a congregation see ourselves? This is God's truth. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That would suggest to me That what we see as example of anointing in the Old Testament now has real attraction in the life of the church when we are told that our identity is as a chosen, selected, royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do we see ourselves as that? A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's all about transformation. And it's all about us collectively living out an example of that transformation. This is very exciting. There's a phrase that's been coming to my mind a lot lately. God is very personally engaged in our life. But the church is very, though it's very personal, it's not individual. It's not individual had lunch with one of our elders this week and uh, throwing out some ideas and with great insight he said we seem to be a congregation that comes together on Sunday you know and we come to the event but we need to get beyond and engage engage more deeply with one another I think what Gary was saying was God is very personally working in us but we it's not individual It's not individual. God doesn't say you're a holy person. You're a holy priest. He says you're a priesthood, a nation, and a people that he is gathering together to display transformation. So let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you uh, that you've paid uh, the price for our sin. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, just speak to us really powerfully. Uh, we, we have this example of Saul, and we have this example of David, and Lord, I, I just confess, I, so often in my life, as you know, I'm Saul, trying to manipulate you to my desires, I'm trying to call the shots, uh, and I even have the audacity to say, I've obeyed God in the process. But, Lord, I really long to be like David, and I believe many, many people here today are wanting to be Davids with a heart after you, with an authenticity, just like we see later in his life, fully aware of our failures, but not hiding our failures behind pious religious activity, but having that authenticity to come to you for a transformation. And so Lord Jesus, I pray you'd be speaking to hearts today about getting out of the, the Saul syndrome, that religiosity covering over self, and, and, and to really see what it meant for David to be called because David, for all the failing that he would do, was authentic and real before God to continue to let God transform him. And so we just pray for that in lives and hearts today. Amen.